These are the stories of The 116, a podcast from the heart of the First United Methodist Church in downtown Peoria, Illinois. This is where belief becomes action and action brings hope. Here's your host, Greg Fish. And welcome everyone to the very first episode of Stories from The 116. This podcast has become such an exciting project for me. Uh, on a very personal level, and I really can't wait to see where it leads in the uh, weeks ahead. What we're going to do is we're going to tell our stories and share our hearts, but we also hope that you'll uh, uh, play a part in this and, and share these with other people. Share them on, on social media and tell people what you liked about them. Tell people how they spoke to your heart, because we really want to share the heart of our ministry work together. And, and I've been on staff here at FUMC for uh, a little bit over a year now, and I've really been captured by the spirit that I, I, I see going on here, the spirit, this mission that says we're going to stay focused on doing what Jesus has called us to do no matter what. And that's why I think it's important for this podcast to stay focused on the stories that will speak to your heart. So this isn't a way of, of promoting any program or even sharing facts and times and dates, but it's our way of helping you to catch our excitement and perhaps be inspired yourself to allow God to do great things through you. So with that in mind, part one, this is episode one, and it's uh, part one of our conversation with the team that recently went to Liberia, Africa. And I feel like I need to say Liberia, Africa, because I'm not sure everybody, if they pull out their map though, where, where do they find Liberia on the African map? West Africa, Greg. Okay. Yeah, I always actually say I've been to Liberia, West Africa, because I realize a lot of people don't know where it is. Okay, yeah. So anyway, with me, that was Julie Roffs, and uh, we also have Amy Zools with us here. And uh, you were the first half of the team we're going to talk to. Next uh, podcast, we're going to be talking with uh, the other half, which was Pastor Tim Osmond and uh, Dan Phillips. That must have been quite an adventure with Dan Phillips, by the way. I, I, I would guess those are some of your best stories involving him. There's there's endless great stories, and, but I'm not, I don't know that Greg, uh, I don't know that we can say that Dan is at the middle of all of them. I think um, we've said more than once, what happens in Africa stays in Africa <laughs> <laughs> for good reason, because, you know, when you travel and live with uh, yeah. three other teammates for two weeks, there are inevitably endless stories. I can only imagine and. I'm quite thankful you're not going to share all of them with me because I just don't, I don't want to ruin my good impression that I have of, of, of you guys. So, it, uh, so, well, let's start with the why of this trip. I don't want to spend too much time, but just give us a really quick look at why a trip to Liberia at this time. So the why comes from a decision made by the missions team uh, in June of 2019 that we would contribute money to build a school in a small town called Kosin in Liberia. And having sent the money to build the school, there were two things we really felt we needed to do. One was to go to Kosin and meet the leaders, the pastor, the students, mm -hmm. the town chief. Mm -hmm. And the other was to try to discern if the spirit was leading us to do more and in, in that town, and if so, when. Gotcha. Now, your, your involvement was natural, because and tell everybody your uh, work here at the church in, in regards to missions. 
So right now I'm the chair of the missions team. This is my second year in that role. I've been on the missions team since 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was my third trip to Liberia. Gotcha. So um, it was it was a blessing and honor for me to not only be able to go again, but to um, lead a team of, of faithful servants from our church to see a place that no, none of us had ever seen before. Amy, how did you get involved with this project? How did Ju that happen? Julie asked me. <laughs> 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 yeah, I wasn't sure why she asked, but I was glad she did. And, and I was available, and so I said yes. Now, one of the things you guys said as we were having the pre-conversation, and I, I suspected you would hear this, is that so many people have said, oh, I could never do that. Did you have that feeling at any point in time as, as this was coming about in your life? No, and I think that was God's grace. Julie asked me to go in January. I would be gone for two weeks, and that's a big commitment to be away from my busy family. But God had prepared the way because last year in January, I was supposed to be gone for three days to help my parents, and it ended up being 11 days. Wow. And so I had already been away from my family for two weeks in January. So, yeah, I can go. Wow. So the, the trip comes together and you get all of your shots, an endless amount of shots from what I hear. That must have been a lot of fun. And then you're on 36 hours. How do you do 36 hours and stay sane? Or do you? We took some pictures of each other that we won't show with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe one of them will show. We'll the post that you and I aren't in. <laughs> we'll post those on the show notes. Um, <laughs> it is rather exhausting. Yeah. And, and I think the hardest part, you know, it's 36 hours door to door. Mm -hmm. When you arrive in Liberia, uh, most flights come in at night. Mm -hmm. And so as we're landing at Roberts International Airport, I know where we're at, but my team doesn't. And you're pretty instantly assaulted um, from a sensory standpoint. Mm -hmm. You're seeing things you've not seen, even though it's dark, you can still see some of it. The smell of charcoal fires is everywhere. It's hot and humid. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're hearing sounds, you know, Liberians are, are just naturally loud people. They're yelling to one another and trying to get one another's attention. And, and so that moment of arrival is, it's a pretty shocking one, which is made all the harder because it is now hour 35 and you have an hour drive to the guest house at that point. So you're already on sensory overload anyway, but then you step into this completely new world. And Amy, this was your first time there. What your first impression when you hit the ground? When we drove, it was an hour drive and I wrote notes that it was dark. There were no house lights. There were no street signs. There were no oh. street lights. The only lights were for maybe some charcoal fires. Occasionally a house had some lights in the distance, but it was just dark. It was foreign. So for me, it actually kind of protected me from sensory overload because I couldn't see. Mm. We were just driving in the dark and then arriving. And, and I think one of the first questions that somebody might wonder is, what about the language issues? Now, this is what I didn't know, that they actually do speak English kind of, sort of, but it's not our English. Is that correct? Is that a good way of putting it? Sure. Y yes, they speak English, but it doesn't sound like English. So if... 
felt, you'd think, oh, they understand me, but they say that our accent is so thick they can't understand what we're saying, and their accent is so thick we can hardly understand. So some people you may understand 10 to 20% of what they're saying. Mm-hmm. The big hint, and by the end of our two weeks, we were talking like this. You drop prepositions, <laughs> THs become duh, so it's mother, father, thank you, um, you... I go to bed, I go bed, mm-hmm. you hungry, very basic English, just so they, they might be able to understand us. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the, then there's the tribal language, mm-hmm. is that correct? Right, yeah, 16 different tribal languages, so it depends on where you are in the country as to which tribal language you may hear. We heard probably three different ones, possibly four. But the Liberian English is, can be so hard to understand that sometimes it would be a couple minutes in before I realized, oh, they're speaking a tribal <laughs> language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so did you have now, Julie? You've been there before. Could, could you kind of translate what you were hearing for everybody, or did you just have to ask them to slow down? How did that work? I'm not sure. I actually did much translating. I think I spend a lot of time looking at people. Like our driver, Joe, mm-hmm. when the first day he drove us, I understood about 5% of what he said. And I'm sitting next to him in the front seat, and he would speak to me, and I'm I'm just giving him this dumb look, hoping that somewhere my brain can process what he just said. <laughs> and then in the first few days, maybe I'd get two or three words, and I'd mostly just say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I actually did much translating for the team. But after a couple weeks, then I understood a whopping 30 to 40% of what Joe said. So Mm -hmm. um, we were getting there and giving me a little more time. Joe and I could have been good friends, had good conversation. And I I really want you to unpack your, your, your experience. But one of the things that I think that that people are going to be curious about, and it's got to be maybe the number one question, which is what's your number one question? How was your trip? Okay, that okay. Forget that. <laughs> That's the number one question. It was okay. All right. How was your no the the food thing? I I would oh, think that people would ask about the food. How was the food? It was great. They have great fruit there, pineapple like it's mm. meant to be, bananas, even papayas, which I think are disgusting in America, are delicious there. Really? So because it's too ripe in America, but there it's fresh off the tree. Fresh baby coconut. I mm-hmm. will not touch coconut in America. <laughs> and when I told my husband that I ate the inside of the coconut so that I could have that nice, fresh fruit, he thought I'd lost my mind because I won't touch it. I will shun mm. anything in America with coconut in it. Really? And there I was with a spoon digging the inside out of that coconut and just loving eating it. It was amazing. Different flavor, texture, all of the above? All of the above. Yeah. And it wasn't sugar-coated and shredded either. Mm, yeah. And I understand you ate just a little bit of rice while you were there. <laughs> the Liberians say you have not eaten if there is no rice. So every meal has rice. And when my very first meal, I took probably a half a cup of rice because mm-hmm. that's what we're taught is a serving of rice. And they looked at me like, aren't you going to eat today? And <laughs> I ended up having three servings of rice. because Oh, you just, wow. It was good. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the way the, the meats were described was kind of a, a like a barbecue at every meal sort of thing. Is that is that correct? So most of the cooking is done over a charcoal fire. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, barbecue is a pretty adequate way to to describe that. We had chicken very often, mm-hmm. probably almost every day. Yeah. Um, we had fish a couple times. Um, 
they will often eat bush meat, which really just means any other meat besides chicken or fish. Wow. Beef isn't really a thing there. You can you can get it. It's imported. But bush meat really means any anything that they can catch because, you know, when you need sources of protein, it doesn't really matter where it's coming from. We did not eat the bush meat. It wouldn't be safe for us necessarily. Um, their bodies are are acclimated to that type of food, but um, that was something we had to stay away from. Mm-hmm. I think that made Dan sad one day, but mm-hmm. he knew he knew what we were protecting him. Yeah. What's also interesting is there were some kitchens I'd look at, and there was a stove there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't used. They would just really? cook over charcoal. That's what they're used to doing. The other issue is the power would go out randomly. So if you had an electric stove, it may not work. So they just use charcoal fires. Seasonings at all? Uh, Do they season it? They, so they season it differently for us than they would normally eat. Mm -hmm. We had one meal um, at the home of our, uh, our friend, the, the Dean of the school of nursing, Clinton's Yantu. um, And his wife had prepared this meal and the rice was there was the spiciest we had had. And, uh, and it was pretty spicy. I remember my lips kind of feeling like they were on fire afterward. And when somebody asked him, is this how you would normally eat? He said, well, we made the rice far less spicy for you. So, and I know from one previous trip, their meals are typically very, very spicy. So at the guest houses where we stay, they really tame it down for us. Yeah, it was delicious. The lady who cooked for us knew how to cook for Americans, clean, Mm -hmm. uh, clean the vegetables, the fruit. And we ate very well. Yeah. Now, because we are Americans, and I'm presuming that these are strictly Americans who will be listening to this podcast, we have certain, um, shall we say, life necessities like air conditioning and certain levels of comfort. What extent were the, how would you compare what you experienced there in your accommodations to what we Americans insist is a must sometimes in our day-to-day life? So we did have... At the guest house in Ganta, where we stayed for seven of our 11 nights, we did have three rooms that had air conditioning. When Mm. the power was on. Okay. When the power was on, which I think of the seven nights, it was on four, if Mm. I recall correctly. Um, So the nights when we did have power or when we had power for a while before it cut out, I don't know about Dan and Tim, but I would make my room really, really cold. Mm-hmm. just in case the power went out. But mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, we're sleeping under mosquito nets. Okay. Um, which, by the way, are a pain in the neck. So you have to tuck it in under your mattress all the way around the bed, mm. which begs the question, how do I get in? Um, <laughs> and by the way, I forgot twice to turn the light off before I got in. So then, you know, <laughs> I was all tucked in and then realized I had no way to turn the light off though, <laughs> untucking and getting back out. So... Um, if you're just using a room fan, you will occasionally find yourself uncomfortable inside the mosquito net, depending on how warm it is, because air doesn't flow real well. You know, they're pretty fine weave. So Amy and I had little fans inside our mosquito nets that we could prop up and blow at us. Directly at our face. To yeah, try to cool all us night off. long. But it was it was good. Mm-hmm. I, they took very good care of us. Uh-huh. And so, yes, the heat was a lot. There was one day that was 96 degrees and 24% humidity. 
And we were commenting, oh, it's so nice out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. we had had 96 degrees and 100% humidity. Sure. So the 24 was nice. Yeah. The other difference, um, we were in a van or a Jeep that we didn't have seatbelts. So just other things. You're not the safety and mm -hmm. there's just differences. They have mm -hmm. their priorities and mm -hmm. they're different than American. And, and their communities, what what did you see in the communities? Because obviously they're not going to be like ours, but how, how modern uh, do their – and I'm not that familiar with Liberia either. Is there a modern city in the country of, of Liberia or – Monrovia is the capital of Liberia, mm -hmm. and it's where probably 60 to 80% of the population lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't the case prior to their civil war, but it is the case today. The war ended in 2003, and that changed a lot there. There are power lines, and there is fairly regular electricity in Monrovia. Mm -hmm. Running water is hit or miss. They said 2% of the population. I may be wrong, but... Has running water. Right. So Monrovia is definitely the most modern city. Ganta, where we were for those seven nights, is the second largest city. Um, their power comes from the Ivory Coast, and, you know, we, we lost power pretty much every other day while we were there. Uh, running water would be pretty rare there. And then mm -hmm. when you get more rural, like Kosin, where we built the school, there'd be, I don't think they had any electricity. No. They probably have generators. Generators are common. Um, they wouldn't have any running water. We were at the, we probably used the most modern toilet facility in the whole village or town, and... It was it was an actual toilet, but you couldn't flush it. You use a bucket and pour it from mm -hmm. above the toilet to create pressure to flush. So, so so with all of these these differences and things that might make us a little bit inclined to say, well, I don't know that I could do that. How does God touch you when you're in a situation like that in a way that makes it second? I don't. Does it become second second nature after a time or? To tell, so the person who might be concerned, I couldn't do that. Well, tell me about how the spirit moves through something like that. Okay, I'm just going to say, Greg, I love to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, that's not of God. You know, I recognize that. Sure. I recognize that he stretches me and makes me uncomfortable. Um, and quite often that's when I do his best work. Mm. Um, so I love my recliner. I love my air conditioning. I'm a northern girl. Illinois is way too far south for me. So you can imagine Liberia is physically a very difficult place. Um, and yet, if, if the money and the call were there, I'd be there every year. Wow. Um, God gives me the grace, um, as I saw with our entire team, to just adapt to those things that are different um, you adapt to a cold shower or bucket bath every day. You adapt to sleeping um, in a room that's warmer than you would prefer. You adapt to um, a couch with one-inch thick cushion mm -hmm. or lack mm -hmm. thereof. You just and, – and God just gives you that grace. Sure. But I actually, I'd love to hear how Amy would answer that. I went into it thinking for two weeks, it'll be like glorified camping. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was it? Yeah. Okay. But it was nicer. So it was nice camping. But there's differences. There's no stop. I don't think there's a single stoplight in Liberia. 
going. Maybe in Monrovia, but I think they're a suggestion. Yeah, I don't even know that there is one. <laughs> a suggestion. I like yeah. Because the power would go out and then it wouldn't work. So I'm not sure. There was one before the war. I'm not sure there wasn't one after. There's no mail in mm -hmm. Liberia. Mm -hmm. So imagine you can't have a post office. You can't, you don't have an address. You can't mail oh a letter. It's just, it is so different than what we would imagine. But what was also interesting was we kept saying, but people are people. Mm -hmm. The kids would fight with each other just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. parents would get exasperated with their kids. Um, you had people who were wise with their money, people who weren't wise with their money, people who love God, people who went to church just because it was a social thing. People are people. So it was interesting observing their culture and observing how they lived but it was still the same God who created all of us. Yeah. He's over it all. Yeah. So then the same God who's over us all, tell, I, both of you, if you can think of the one transformational thing that happened on this trip, what is the story that is going to stay with you for the rest of your life, the story that um, has just made you a different person as you step back on American soil? What would that be? I mean, there's lots of little vignettes. There are. I, it's it's hard to think of one. Right. So, um, before we went, so this is just a little piece. Before we went, I was wondering, what is my role on the team? Because, I don't know, I was just asked to come, and mm -hmm. I didn't have any connection to Liberia. And before we went, um, a member of the church just said, each of you will have your time to shine, that God has a purpose for each of you on this trip. And so I was just aware of that and just watching as Sometimes Pastor Tim would provide pastoral care to someone who needed it, and we would just all be quiet and listen. Or Dan would surround himself with kids, and he shined. And <laughs> Julie has this connection. She was just so connectional, how she was able to put people together, and it was just neat to see God work. And so on the day there was church, um, I went over, while Pastor Tim was preaching, I went to the children and I was able to just meet the probably 30 to 50 kids in Sunday school. And I, Julie had said, why don't you have a children's sermon prepared? And so I went over and I introduced myself and talked to them and it did feel like the spirit was teaching and it was just beautiful. And then at the end, I came back and I listened to the ends of, end of Pastor Tim's sermon, which again was just beautiful and just mm. really fit. Mm -hmm. um, and then a kid came up to me and just gave me the biggest hug. And I thought, okay, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. You know, in, in seeing the pictures and the way that the, the children would gather around you, was that because you were a novelty to them as well? Uh, did, or were they just really welcoming you in? What, what was, what, what was going on when the kids were gathering around you like, like that? Yeah, I mean, they were excited. Some of them, some of the younger kids, we're talking two or less, they would sometimes cry when they saw us because they'd never seen people who looked like us before. Mm. But yes, yeah, so they enjoyed us being there. We were guests, we were visitors. They love having visitors. I would let them touch my hair because my hair was so different. And mm -hmm. I had to be careful because I would have 50 sticky hands in my <laughs> hair. <laughs> But it was fun. It, it, people are people. Sure, sure. So I'm thinking about the day we went to Santa Quelli. And Santa Quelli was not on our agenda. It wasn't even somewhere we necessarily wanted to go. 
I kind of felt like the mom dragging my three kids along to this place that nobody wanted to go, but I didn't really want to go either. And so the night before we went there, I asked the pastor who wanted us to go, his name is Aaron. I said to Aaron, you know, we really have a laser focus. We're trying to stay very focused in our support efforts. And I feel like if we go to Santa Quelli, um, you're asking us to de detract from that laser focus. And he said, I understand your laser focus and I still want you to go. And so we said, okay, we will go. We will go ride an hour one way in the Jeep on the roads that are not yet paved. Um, in fact, we're under construction to go to Santa Quelli. And we don't know why. We had already been to Cosin and we had seen um, the school there. We had met the principal. Um, and there were some things that we recognized would be beneficial for them, um, one of which was a mentor for this principal. And so we go to Santa Quelli and we meet the pastor principal of the Santa Quelli United Methodist School. And I would say it was between five and seven minutes after we arrived that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just reached down and whispered in the ears of all four of our team members, This is why you're here. Wow. And there was a moment where I watched Pastor Tim walk away, and I was a little confused wondering why he was disengaging from the conversation. Mm -hmm. He told us later that he was overcome in that moment because he recognized the hand of God so clearly. Wow. We knew in that moment why we were in Santa Quelli. We knew we had met a man of the caliber of mentor that the leader in Kosin needs, whether that matchup ever happens, um, we're not in charge of that. That's mm -hmm. the Liberian's role, and we've talked to them about that. I think there are other opportunities for others to come alongside as mentors, but in that moment, we knew that they were out there, and we knew that we had met one of them. Wow. And it wow. was so powerful to just recognize that. And I, we all kept glancing at one another with these big eyes like, this is it. We get it. God had just moved us all. He had set us where he wanted us to be. And we had no intention of going there, but he had moved us. And we were all, I would say, resigned to the will of God that, yes, thank you, Lord, for being sovereign over this moment. I just wanted to squeeze in a little bit of the flavor of the music. And I'm going to, Julie, use one of your videos that you posted. So if I can get this. And I know you can't hear this, but that's the video that they're hearing what can you tell me about what we're hearing right now? So the, <clears throat> excuse me, the girls that are singing there, actually, I think there are a couple gentlemen as well. That is the choir, uh, the youth choir for, from Miller McAllister United Methodist Church in Ganta, which is where we worshiped on January 19th. Pastor Tim preached that day. I've heard them before, and in, when I saw them practicing, I could hardly wait to walk over and just listen uh, they that choir they're they're all high school students they actually practice two nights a week plus Saturday mornings in preparation for their worship time on Sunday morning mm -hmm. and they lead all of the the worship songs wow they're they're just unbelievably good I want to give you both a, a final shot here to tell uh, the listeners uh, the impact that is going to change the way you do ministry uh, from this point forward but just quickly, you had a great story about a guy whose name was, I think, Bobo. Bobo. 
And that's not how it's spelled. It's not like B-O-B-O, right? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Bobo, his name is spelled G-B-O-R-B-O-E. Bobo. Uh, okay. Bobo was a scholarship student um, at the School of Nursing that First Church sponsored probably four years ago. And when I made my first trip to Liberia in 2016 with my daughter, Kate, we met Bobo. And when we met him, his face was, it was sad. Mm. He, he was sad. And I, so at one point we asked all of the scholarship students to share their stories with us. And he shared that his father had recently passed away. And that was during the Ebola crisis in Liberia. And because of the timing of his father's death, they were not able to do their normal funeral um, ceremony. And he was clearly just still very much grieving and struggling. And it just hurt our hearts. Um, He's he's just, he's a cool guy. And to just see him so sad was hard for us. The following year, Kate and I returned to Liberia and Bobo was one of the first people we saw when we arrived in Ganta. And his smile touched both ears. It was, oh, wow. he's just got the best smile ever. And he was doing so much better. Joy had returned to his life. He was still in school. In fact, he became, um, he ended up graduating with his bachelor's degree um, from the School of Nursing. And um, my husband and I were able to, to help support him to finish that, that degree. And I had not seen him since that time um, when we agreed to help him. And we've stayed in contact, but I learned early in our trip that Bobo is working at a town called Tapita, which is three hours from Ganta. So wow. once I learned that, I thought, well, there's no, we're not going to see him. You know, it, it's, it's much too far for him to travel um, just to see us. And so that was okay. I understood that, and I didn't really grieve it. But on our very last morning in Ganta... I was in the in the guest house with Dan. We were finishing packing the cooler with all of our water, and I heard a voice behind me that all at once seemed familiar, and yet I knew I hadn't heard it in a while. It was a strange... I don't know why I recognized his voice, having only met him twice before. It was Bobo. Wow. He had come three hours three by hours. motorbike the night before. Mm. Um, I don't know how he knew our schedule. I'm guessing that Clinton shared it with him. I, you probably heard me scream mm-hmm. from outside. I screamed his name. I gave him a huge hug. I took him by the hand and I said, you have to meet my friends. And by the way, taking him by the hand is a normal cultural behavior in Liberia. It's fine to hold hands. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I took him outside and I was trying to introduce him to the team, but I couldn't speak. I was just weeping. I was so, wow. so happy, so blessed to see him. It, uh, the joy, I the joy was flooding out of my eyes. <laughs> it was. She was speechless for the first time on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh. I tried hard to introduce him, and and um, I glanced over at Clinton during that time, and he was just smiling and nodding. And yeah. so I'm certain that Clinton had a role in that mm. to see Bobo and to see that he's successful that he owns his own motorbike, that he's he's practicing his nursing skills at a, a hospital in Tapita. He's successful. He's smiling. It brought me so much joy. So much joy. Wow. 
A lot of our trip, we focused on John 15, which is about, um, I am the vine, God, the Father is the gardener, you are the branches, without me you cannot bear fruit. And we focused on seed planting, and that was our theme. And so what was interesting was to see fruit. In Kosen, we have not seen fruit, we have just planted a seed. And the people there will have to water and fertilize. And School of Nursing, we've planted seed, and we were able to see fruit. We interviewed, I think it was seven students, eight students. Three of the students have come to know Jesus from their time Wow! at the Gonta School of Nursing. That's awesome. We did not know that there would be that type of eternal fruit. Mm-hmm. And so then to see Bobo and to see the fruit, it was great. Again, we were just overwhelmed at the sovereignty and planning of God. We had no idea what we were going to see, but he did. You know, in the pre-conversation with Pastor Tim in the room, I could sense, I felt like I was an observer on something really intense, (laughs) a, a, a bond that had formed between all of you that wasn't there before. And this is a weird comparison, but I know over the years I've gone to conventions or training sessions, and when I've come back, everybody would look at me and like, don't bring that stuff back here. We don't want it. You're the one that got to go eat the convention food and do all those. And and, and all the great things you gained there you know, could be lost when you got back. I, I wonder if there's a comparison here that you go and have a life-changing experience like this, and you come back and people just want to know about the food or about the accommodations. What, what's the heart of this thing? What do you want to implant in people's hearts as uh, as you progress through the weeks ahead in, in, in relating your experiences in Liberia? For me, it's just that fruit imagery that God is working and we have a role whether in seed planting or in fertilizer. We just have a role and we need to do it. Gotcha. The other thing that we focused a lot on was about partnership. And I think the Bobo story shows partnership he did not just take from Julie. He also gave to Julie his time. And while we were there, we were looking not to be bank accounts. We are all part, as the church, we are all part of one body. How can we work together? How can we be partnerships, a partner? How can we have relationships with each other? And that deepened, that grew. We, we became friends with some of the pastors there and the workers who are part of the kingdom of God in Liberia. We became friends. We have relationships. We understand each other. And so I I guess that's what I learned so much about is it is not about writing checks. It is about being involved in each other's lives so you can accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. Yeah, there's there's a beauty in that because I I can see that actually happening and growing on both sides of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like this happens anytime I'm on a mission trip that you grow close to the people that you're traveling with. And so I feel a a familial connection now with my team. I keep calling them my team. You'll always be my team. I, you know, my team has spouses and families and children, but they're still my team. So I claim some possessiveness over them, Sure, (laughs) but in a way that um, has grown relationships and respect and love um, in a way that only God can do. But then I feel that same growth personally, in Liberia as well. Um, as I said goodbye to Clinton, um, I said goodbye, my brother. I will see you again soon. We don't know which side of the ocean, but we'll see each other soon. And and I feel a friendship with Clinton. And, uh, you know, he and his wife had us to their home for a meal. like, And he's been in my home. That it, 
that's so special, and it's some a, a privilege that God has has given us. But we also know that um, the heart can't understand what the eyes don't see, and so for me, part of it is my team now has seen and they get it. And there's so much that you can't get unless you've been there. Um, and so I, I just hope and pray that God will continue to open doors for First Church, um, for, for our members to see, to truly lay eyes on what's happening there. It's not something we need to do every six months or anything like that, but maybe every one to two years that we're there, that we have a presence, um, that we can see the fruit that's growing, um, that we can see where seeds need nurtured, um, and just to see all the work that God's doing. Had we not gone this time, we would never have known, short of the Spirit revealing it to us in some other way, of the eternal fruit that's happening with the students at the School of Nursing. That was huge. I've never heard that before this trip. Wow. Yeah. Well, Julie Ross and Amy Zules, thank you so very much for sharing this time. We are going to uh, have some show notes on uh, our website at www.fumcpeoria.org. And uh, we'll include a few of your favorite pictures on there for folks as well, so they can have some visuals uh, to go. Do you have a picture of Bobo? Yes, it's on my Facebook page, actually. All right, well, we'll include some of those pictures, so be sure and check that out. Thank you also very much for joining us for episode one of Stories from the 116, and we're looking forward, I should say, to see where this adventure takes us in the future. You've been listening to the stories of the 116 from our studio at First United Methodist Church in downtown Peoria, Illinois. You can find the show notes or contact us with your questions and comments through our website at www.fumcpeoria.org.